Welcome to Mostly Books Meets, the weekly podcast for the incurably bookish. We will be talking to authors and creatives from across the world of publishing and discussing the books they have loved. Looking for a recommendation? Then look no further. Head to your favourite cosy spot and let us pick out your next favourite book. We warmly welcome onto the podcast this week writer Cecile Pinn. Cecile's debut novel, Wandering Souls, was published on the 2nd of March this year. Even before publication, Wandering Souls had an impressive cohort of supporters, hailing it as an important and sure-footed literary debut. Wandering Souls tells the story of three siblings who flee Vietnam after the terrors of war and find themselves orphaned and seeking a new home in Thatcher's Britain. Cecile, welcome to Mostly Books Meets. Hi, thank you for having me. Our absolute pleasure. Thank you for joining us. So on Mostly Books Meets, uh, Mostly Books is a small bookshop in Abingdon, Oxfordshire, and we like to sort of turn our uh, guests into booksellers and get them talking about books that have inspired them and books that they have enjoyed, as well as their their own book, which we'll, we'll get to later. Mm-hmm. So we like to start by going back to your past, your childhood, and any books that you loved uh, then. Am I right in saying you, you grew up in, was it Paris and New York? That was where you spent a lot of your childhood. Yes, mostly in Paris. So I mostly read in in French when I was okay. little. I didn't really, um, I didn't really learn English until I was nine. So most most of my childhood friend uh, books were uh, French books. So Tom yeah. um, Tom Nana, which is kind of like a comic uh, book series um, in French. And then I think the first books that I read in English were Roald Dahl books. Oh, um, okay, yeah. So Matilda and all that, which I used to really love uh, as well. And then. I think the first kind of grown-up book that I read was To Kill a Mockingbird, which I remember being very proud that I'd managed to, to read in English. Yes, I um, I think that was probably the first kind of serious book, if that's how you can call it. Yeah. Of course, you know, <laughs> children's books can be very sort of serious and deal with a lot of um, <laughs> serious issues. But um, I think, yes, that was kind of the first one for me. And you do feel there is this kind of sense of pride because <laughs> it has this reputation as kind of, you know, a very sort of important, serious book. And so when you read it, you sort of feel that, like, yes, I'm a, you know, yes. I'm a, I'm reading grown up books now. <laughs> Am I right in saying in France, there's a sort of great tradition of graphic novels, of sort of very visual storytelling. Because I remember I went to a French bookshop in Bordeaux once and they had a brilliant graphic novel section. I was really envious because you don't see that as commonly in the UK. A lot of like visual storytelling I found. Yeah, it's really big. And I think even uh, for animation, I think we're the, France is the third biggest country that produces animation films after the US and Japan, which is interesting. But um. Yeah, but we love graphic novels. Even in very small French towns, you'll often have a store just for graphic novels, which is quite amazing, I think. So, and you have the classic police books, and then um, yeah, lots of lots of. It's very common for adults to read um, graphic novels. Mm. I think we could do with seeing. Yeah, more of that in the UK, because there's certainly a growing population among the younger generation. But, you know, there's been some beautiful graphic novels that I've read as a grown up. One is um, Persepolis, which I believe Mm -hmm. is that that's French originally, isn't it? That was translated. And that's just, you know, it's so it's so beautiful. And I think it's just another great way of telling a a great story. So I'd I'd kind of like to see that tradition make its way over the channel. I think it would be. Yeah, I think it would go down well. And were you always, as a child, into words, into reading? Was that something you've had since a young age or did that sort of come about later on? It, it came about a bit later, to be honest. I 
I struggled. I think I, I was, I had maybe a bit of concentration problems. And I, when I was a child, I struggled to really get immersed in a book or even, you know, going to the, I would sometimes go to the theater with my school and I would really struggle to stay focused for the, uh, the whole play. So I, I didn't always do the readings that I had to do at school, <laughs> um, you know, I remember, but I did really, when I did manage it, I really loved it. You know, I, I grew up reading like Emile Zola and Flaubert and all those classic French writers, but it's really, I think when I, um, went to university and when I, when I stopped, when I finished university that I really rediscovered uh, a love of reading, I think. Yes. And I think, yeah, it's nice to talk about that because I think people can sort of expect writers to have been, you know, from, you know, I was a baby and I was reading books and I was always <laughs> really good with, a, you know, reading, writing, really into it. But actually you find that everyone has their own sort of journey with reading. I think, you know, some I wasn't much of a reader when I was younger, but now you know, you can't keep me away from books. So, exactly. you know, I think it's nice to kind of focus on that because I think some, particularly we get parents in the shop who get worried that, you know, oh, my kid's not reading as much as my other kid and we're saying it's fine. Like, you know, it will, yeah, it's, it's just finding what you, yeah, what you enjoy. Uh, and in terms of, you know, storytelling, would you say even if you weren't sort of reading much, have you sort of always been interested in in telling stories or writing things down or, or did that again was that a kind of post-university thing I think so I I loved creating writing when I was um, a child uh, it's something that I I I think my teachers thought was one of my my strongest you know thing that I was mm. better at you know I was really bad at math and physics and all that but they would sort of write on my note cards like good at creative writing not really good at the rest but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but so I, I really enjoyed it I just don't think I had the confidence to do it um, professionally and then I did more like non-fiction writing I did a, a philosophy at uni and then I did um, a bit of journalism as well wh while at uni so I think I was more interested in maybe going more into feature writing or essay writing but then I think joining publishing and again, reading more fiction as an adult, I became a bit less intimidated by the idea. And I think also I just stopped caring as much about what people would think about my my writing. And I just sort of went for it. That's so interesting because that's such a common theme with other guests that we've had that the not almost the not caring and of course they do you know all writers I think must care because obviously you know you have to kind of go through it with a fine tooth comb but that sense of no I'll just focus on the story and mm -hmm. then sort of release it you know into the world um mm -hmm. so Wandering Souls then did that come about that time when you sort of started thinking actually do you want this is something I can do as well it did so because Wandering Souls is, is partly based on family history, I think I always knew I was going to write about some mm. of the themes in the books about Japanese boat people. But at first I thought I was going to write about it in a, in a non-fiction way. I was maybe going, I was interested in writing maybe a, a feature about Japanese boat people and, and interviewing pe people and just writing a long article about the, the plight of the Japanese refugees. But then I I think I just began writing those characters and um, and made research and then figured out a way to include some nonfiction bits and some fiction bits, which I thought um, was, was I love books that kind of combine different genres and so on. So it came about quite organically in a weird way. I wouldn't, I feel like I've sort of blocked out in my head exactly how it happened because it was during the pandemic and it was a bit chaotic, but I, I think it came about from just finding that perfect moment when I suddenly had more time because of the pandemic and I was gaining in confidence and I 
felt like I was ready to tell that story as well. And um, yes, you can really see that in the book as well, because there's those wonderful, um, you know, not to sort of give too much away for those listening who are who are going to read the book, but there's different sort of threads to it. And there is a kind of journalistic element, you know, in terms of the material that you come across when reading, which gives it a nice kind of uh, the lens of the book changes. You know, sometimes you're following the siblings, but then sometimes you're sort of seeing it from a different angle. So it's nice that you've sort of tied you know, your interests there together, because I think that, you know, when a writer does that, I think it really reflects in how readable the book is, because you could sort of sense that the writer was, you know, having a, maybe not a good time, but was, you know, enjoying the process mm -hmm. that it was kind of, yeah, chimed with them. Yeah, I think that's so important always to, you can always tell when a writer is having fun mm. with the book. And uh, I definitely I mean, not always fun. <laughs> I, <laughs> there were some hard times and a few cries, but um, and mostly I, I, I just, I just kind of wrote the book that I wanted to read. Mm. Well, mm -hmm. and did you find with the, because you've got, you know, the you were saying it was based on, um, uh, you know, slightly on family history, and obviously you've got the, as I said, the sort of journalistic element there. Did you find that fiction was also helpful for filling in? those gaps because of course when it comes to you know not everyone's story around the world gets told obviously a lot of people's stories kind of slip through the backs or just kind of enter family kind of law and did you find fiction as a kind of a, a useful way of kind of piecing sort of piecing things together if that question makes sense yeah definitely I there's still a lot I don't know about my my mom's story so my mom mm. she she's a she's Vietnamese she was in Laos right. at the time and then she spent some time at a refugee camp in Thailand mm. and then she moved to to France in the, the um, uh, late 70s but we we don't really talk about it that much and um I learned a lot about my family history through bits by bits stuff that I my mom would tell me throughout the years and that my uncles would tell me which again that fragmented structure is is sort of you know the same as in the book right mm. um, um and then also through doing my own independent research and and reading newspaper articles and national archives about Vietnamese built people so i think fiction was definitely helpful in filling in the gaps of that story and sort of creating a full novel out of it mm. and um and also mentally i think it was good for me to keep a little bit of distance between real life and fiction and i so that's i set the book at a, at a refugee camp in hong kong and then in, in the UK instead of Thailand and France to really, you know, just divert the two stories and, and make the characters fictional and the setting, well, setting is real, but the, the story fictional. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, that must be yeah quite important. And that, that was my next question, actually, was the interesting of, you know, why Britain had been then chosen as the as the kind of location. Yeah, I think, well, I, I've been in the UK, I've been in London for almost 10 years now, since I was 18. So I... I I'm away. I'm in a kind of in this country that's not really my my home country, and especially I think post Brexit, I've also had those sort of conflicted feelings of whether I belong in the UK if I'm wanted here, which is of course a very different uh, migration story than than um, the ones that the characters were going through. But I was also quite interested in exploring those those feelings and those emotions that come with being um, strangers in a strange land and in in London. So that's one of the reasons why I set up the book in the UK was also to explore those feelings that I was having. And also, I think I was just, I thought there was not that many stories exploring the lives of Vietnamese people in the UK. No one really knows that it's that it happened and that there was this, you know, that wave of refugees coming during the, the Margaret Thatcher days. 
And generally speaking, I think there's not that many Southeast Asian stories that take place in the UK. There's, um, you know, Xiaolu Guo and, and um, a lot of poets like Will Harris and so on. But it's it's something that I felt there was a, just a bit of a, a gap in the, the market for it. And I, I was keen to to write about it. Yes, to to yeah, add add your story to that, um, to that gap. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's something that really stands out with the book is actually a story that I think for many people reading will be kind of completely new to them. But also, it's interesting that you say that about you sort of processing your own feelings about the UK today because reading the segments that are in the UK actually it felt you know it's one of those things of ah oh, yes this happened but also it felt like oh but this also could be mm-hmm. today that mixture of sort of hostility but also in some places kindness and accepting and that kind of duality of you know where you know which side is it you kind of want thing want something to be one or the other but of course nothing in life is there's kind of a lot of complicated there it just felt really reading it I was like but you know this is this could mm-hmm. be you know yesterday as opposed to you know, 30 or so years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. I It's definitely true. I want, I didn't want to have a just negativity in the book or just positivity. It was important for me to show that everyone had different opinions of, about the, the refugee crisis. And you had some people that were very welcoming. And I, I read a lot of testimonies of, of Vietnamese book people who came to the UK and lots of them said that they felt very welcomed. So I wanted to show that side as, as well. But then, of course, the to be expected, there was lots of racist incidents, and I had, there was one chapter I write when they would go to the market, and um, the sellers wouldn't want them to touch the fruits themselves, which is something that I read really happened. And um, yeah, I was I really wanted to show sort of both both sides and both reactions. Yes, that scene is um, one of those bits where you're reading and you sort of want, you wish you could like drag someone out of a book and shout at them and be like, how, you know, yes. like, what are you doing? Like, how dare you? Um, which is again a good sign of uh, when fiction has that effect on you and you want to, you're having a kind of physical reaction to it. That's, um, that's a real testament to the book itself. Thank um, you. Yeah, so you said you've been yeah you've been in London since you're eighteen because you came here to study at university and it was philosophy you yes. studied, wasn't it? Um, yes. And you said you sort of discovered reading kind of after university. Uh, you know, do you obviously you know you have a book out now, which uh, I imagine means you're quite busy. But have there been any books that you've read in the past year that have really sort of stood out for you that you've really enjoyed? Yes, uh, lots of them. I've been reading lots of uh, debut novels um, mm. recently, especially for authors that I'm doing events with. Um, I read Fire Rush by Jacqueline Crooks, which came out also last week, actually, same day as me. And uh, I thought that was a really amazing book. And it's it's funny because it takes place also in London during the same era as Wandering Souls in the uh, sort of late 70s, early 80s. Okay. Yes, but it's about uh, Yamaye, who's... Um, who's a um, Jamaican-British woman and she loves music and so on. And then she kind of gets taken into this journey, which brings her back to her roots. And I don't want to spoil too much, but it's <laughs> a really, really wonderful book that has a a lot of musicality and rhythm go- uh, yeah. running through it, which is which I thought was amazing. Otherwise, I've been... I, I went through a bit of a Greek myth retelling phase. Oh, okay, yes, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> for a woman, it was like all I could process for yeah. <laughs> some reason. My brain, so I read yeah, Silence of the Girls by Pat Barker. I really enjoyed Piranesi by Susan O'Clock mm. as well. I really loved. Yeah, I, I'm 
I need to like look at my reading list. <laughs> it's Although, di- it's difficult, isn't it? To um, <laughs> it happens in the bookshop all the time. Because customers will be like, "What have you read recently?" <laughs> my mind goes so blank. I'm yeah. I'm like I have I feel like I haven't read anything for five years. I said like you can't you can't um yeah grab your uh, um you know grab anything from from your memory. Yes, did you find also kind of when you were writing that I imagine you know you're doing all this research was it nice to sort of reach out to books that you know were quite separate from what you were doing you know for instance your kind of Greek you know retellings (laughs) which um obviously you know might have universal themes but feel a bit more escapist if you know if you're (laughs) writing something which at the time I imagine when you're writing it's all quite close you know it feels yeah for sure yeah yeah and I I struggled when I was actually writing the book I I did struggle to read I think and just to find the time especially because I had a full-time job as well at the time so um I I think I would before starting writing the book I went on a sort of reading binge when I read a lot and um a lot of those books um inspired some of the the themes and the structure Mm. of the book I read lots of you know Maggie Nelson and Max Porter and those writers who sort of play with form and then you know, Ocean Wong and Kathy Park Hong. And so it was such good inspiration to read them. And then when I actually wrote the book, I didn't read. And then after writing the book, I wrote completely different things, <laughs> like working with retelling and just like, yeah, escapism and, and very sort of mm. lofty books with some kind of mythical elements, uh, which I think to kind of get me out of my own head, which was really fun. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Once you've sort of, yeah, finished writing, do you almost feel there has to be a kind of bit of mental spring cleaning? Because, you know, you must feel like you know these characters, you know, so intimately and you know these lives. You must need that something that kind of marks it as a kind of a break. Like, oh, I've done that now. And now I need to kind of, you know, clear the brain out and, you know, move on to yeah. something else. I think so. And especially because this story was quite personal to write mm, and it was of course. it was writing about tough stuff, you know, just learning also about the, the Vietnamese refugees and what they went through. And, you know, there was a lot of death and sexual assault that would happen on, on the journey. And, and so it was it did take a bit of a mental toll on me at some times. So I think once I finished and once I done the edits and so on, I, I sort of wanted to read more maybe lighthearted things and and uh yeah have a little bit of a break from from mm. that story Susanna Clark's a good uh choice for that because she 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 spins such a good yarn because Piranesi is such a I don't know like a you know she's amazing uh, yeah an interesting book it's um it's you know it's not like anything I've read so you know no, those yeah, that, types that of world books. yeah she just managed to create such a, a world that I'd never kind of witnessed before in, in literature so I, I think what she did and also it's quite a short book so I think what she managed to do in, in the in just a few you know mm. hundred I think it's like 200 something pages but I, yeah I think that was really amazing and do you this might be a mean question because you know your debut novel has only just come out but you mm-hmm. know doing that reading as well does that get you kind of thinking about oh well actually you know next I might tell this story or next I might do this you know are there are there plans for a next book or is that am I sort of jumping the gun and you're thinking no 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 let me let no. me sit back and think <laughs> first <laughs> no no you're not you're not jumping the gun I, I have a, a two book deal in the U.S. Oh, so okay. there, there has to be a second yeah. book at some point. <laughs> Legally, no there choice. has to be a second book. <laughs> um, so, and I'm, I'm slowly, it's been, I've been busy kind of doing promotion and writing sort of feature articles for, for book one. So, I, and I find it hard to kind of 
have the promotional side of me and then kind of focus on the writing side. I haven't worked as much on it as I'd like to, but I think this summer is really when I'm going to start fully writing it. And again, I'd like to do some reading before I I really get into it just to get some inspiration and to get into the creative mindset. But um, I think it'll probably be more contemporary than the first, than the first book. But yeah, I can't say too much about it no, because course, I don't, course, I don't yeah. know too much about it yet. But, uh, <laughs> so that's okay. Yeah, You're in the, the sort of the souping period at the moment, I imagine. Yeah. It's just kind of like ideas and, you know, and it will, mm-hmm. it will, it will yeah. um, form into everything. Yeah. And I'm how- excited though. Yes, yeah, it must be exciting. And how is it? Because, of course, you know, you've been with this. You said this was a, a sort of a pandemic um, book, as it were, as it's quite interesting. This season, which we're recording at the moment, I feel we've particularly hit now. A lot of the books that we talked about last year kind of started just before the pandemic, whereas now we're hitting all of the, well, it was the pandemic. And so I decided <laughs> now was the time to um, sit down. You know, you you spent a long time with this book and now it's out with the public, you know, the public mm-hmm. and sort of picking that up. How does that feel for, for you as a writer? Oh, it's very surreal. I, because I, again, because I worked in publishing, I had a few friends and colleagues who had gotten their hands on, on proofs on um, mm. early copies of the books. And now it's, you know, my boyfriend's parents have read it and, you know, like childhood friends. And I was, every time someone tells me they've read the book, I always think like, how dare you? <laughs> how, did you get, how did you get your hand on one? Like, I find it so kind of scandalous, but also just very flattering that people would take the time to to read it. And, and mm. yeah, and I've, I've started getting some Instagram posts of, you know, strangers Amazing. buying the book in store. And yeah. again, I find it so so touching that people would buy, you know, in this economy as well, buy like a forty nine nine hardback about what I wrote. So it's very, um, I just find it very, very flattering and, and humbling. But I do think I've, I've shortly, I've a little bit dissociated from it and I mm, haven't fully realized it yet because I think it's quite a scary thing to happen, isn't it? That people are going to be judging your writing and will have opinions about it and it's like the story isn't fully mine um anymore and and uh, people will sort of int- um, have their own interpretations and their thoughts on the characters and i think that can be a bit daunting but i'm i'm trying not to be too worried about that and and to kind of just let it be as well i think that's quite a you know a good a good attitude to have because of course <laughs> it does become it's kind of own living thing doesn't it once it's mm-hmm. out there with the public and you know, the the advice I hear other writers always say is, you know, it's great when the good reviews come in, but as a rule, like, you know, don't worry about reviews, you know, that's not, yes. you know, because it must be, even the good ones, I feel it must be daunting because it, 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 it's just you're thinking, oh, wow, like, you know, someone's, as you said, invested in this book and then they've taken time to kind of write a review, you know, that's a mm-hmm. lot of kind of mental space given over to your story which is such a kind of like an honor but also i think if you kind of considered every review that came in it would be get too emotionally you'd be like i can't deal with this all these people have read my story yeah yeah be. yeah it's a lot but no uh, it's been great so far and and you know i've see, i've come across a few like negative good reads things but i'm i'm trying not to look at them anymore <laughs> no 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 <laughs> get off good re- log good out of good reads right now <laughs> log get out off. of good reads <laughs> Goodreads yeah. is always, you know, it has its place, but it's a bit of a it's a bit of a dumpster fire sometimes because it doesn't matter the book. You can find someone who, you know, uh, and of course, you know, did you feel, you know, you said you you worked in publishing. What was your role in publishing, if you don't mind me asking? What, what were course, you doing yeah. there? 
I was uh, editorial assistant at Jonathan Cape. Oh, at, okay, at oh, lovely. Yes. And did you feel that kind of put you in good stead for your own sort of writing process and kind of knowing what to expect once that that ball started rolling? It did. I think it was um, overall a pretty positive thing for me. Um, it helped, I think, make the process less daunting. I sort of always knew what was going on. And and also, as I said, I think it also allowed me to sort of see that there was a bit of a gap in the market for the kind mm. of story I wanted to tell, which made me, even when I was feeling very insecure in, in my writing and and the way I was telling the story, I would sort of focus on the fact that I knew that there was a growing interest in those story and people wanted to, to know more about um, East, the East Southeast Asian diaspora in the UK. I think it was also a bit, it added a bit of stress um, sometimes <laughs> because <laughs> I was still aware again, like, you know, that's the other other side of things is that I was still aware all the time of what was happening. And sometimes I would see a book that had some similarities to mine go to acquisitions and would struggle trying to publish her and so on. And uh, I would be like, oh yeah. my God, maybe maybe when my book is on submission, it will, you know, people will actually want to buy it or, or something like that so I would I would always and again I was trying not to think about my own book because I want I want it to be professional and keep from writing like yeah. that but it's, it was hard not to kind of get in my own head sometimes and um and then but I was I think Fourth Estate was a really great publisher and so I didn't have because again at first I was worried that I would be very on it and be like annoying about cover designs and mail outs and publicity and marketing plans but actually they were just really good about everything and I, I really trusted them from the get-go so I think pretty early on I, I relaxed and sort of let Fourth Estate my publisher do their own thing and mm. and it was it was honestly quite a smooth smooth sailing process so I've been I've been lucky. The anticipation was the <laughs> stressful bit, but actually, yeah. once you were there, you were like, "Okay, fine. This is this exactly. is okay." <laughs> and uh, do, if you don't mind me asking, are you so? Do you sort of see yourself now as sort of writing as well as working and publishing, or or is one sort of taking over from the other um, yes. since the book's so come I, out? Yeah, so I actually left my job in October, oh. Oh, so now okay. I'm writing full time. Um, it was just getting to the point where, especially you know publishing people it's a great industry but it's just i was finding myself having to do some work over the weekends and, course, and so yeah. on just just because i had to read manuscripts and it was just very stressful yeah. and a, and a lot and i i you know i loved my team and i i miss it a little bit sometimes but i just thought this is my one shot at publishing mm -hmm. my first book and i really want to do it well and focus on on promotion and so on and, and then i have a, a second book as well that i need to write so i thought maybe one day i'll have to go back and that would be fine but for now i i i'm going to focus on writing at least for the time being and yes and for our listeners i think it's you know kind of good to uh for those who are not sort of uh familiar with the kind of the mechanics of having you know a book coming out you know there's a lot of expectations for you for instance doing this podcast but you know you, you'll be uh, you know doing sort of shop visits and things like that you know there's quite a an events sort of lineup isn't there you're sort of you know dragged out to various different places to kind of even if it's just to sign your book you know so that's quite time consuming as well yes there's that and um, i'm lucky that i i go to the us as well so i was in in the united states last week in New York and Seattle and then I'm going to go back there in, in May as well uh, to do an event. So it's been very exciting and then um, I've written a few features and personal essays for our one for Galdem recently for example. So it's um, yeah it 
you wouldn't think, but you kind of think once you're done writing the book and you're done with the edits, you're kind of done. <laughs> the, yes. the author is done, but, there, <laughs> but then there's this whole other side uh, that comes with being a, a published writer, mm. uh, which is more and more sort of social facing, which has been interesting. And it's, I'm still learning about it. And I'm still learning, I think, about my kind of author persona, if that makes sense. And um, yeah. but it's been fun. I'm enjoying it. So, yeah. Yes, it's a, an interesting uh, industry always to be in from whatever angle, whether working <laughs> in publishing, bookshops or writing. I think you do meet a lot of, you know, a lot of, you know, interesting um, people. There'll be a point, I imagine, where you'll probably be sick of your own book just because, you know, if you're <laughs> writing like things about it, talking about it, you'll think, oh, I've heard myself say this so many times. <laughs> I, I'm sure that hasn't happened yet. But I imagine, <laughs> I imagine for writers that must be, you know, having to kind of go over that ground and basically you you are booksellers as well because you know your main job becomes kind of selling your own book you know the days I think of writing a book and then it was just out there and a writer could spend their time almost kind of mysteriously you know in the mm -hmm. background I feel are quite sort of long gone the writer has <laughs> to kind of have this sort of public uh facing element as well yeah for sure and now it's social media as well and um yeah and now obviously writers don't have to be on social media, like Sally, Sally Rooney isn't on social media. But for me, I, I find it quite helpful to, to interact with readers directly on those uh, websites. So that's, yeah, that's the whole new side of things that I'm also learning about as well. Absolutely. Are you, dare I ask, are you on TikTok? Are you doing the I'm TikTok not. This thing? Is, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like the barrier that I set myself not to be on yes. TikTok. No TikTok, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe one day, but for now I'm trying to resist. I do the social media in the shop as well, and we have a TikTok, and it's yeah, a lot. TikTok. It's a real, Ooh. it's a lot. It's, uh, it's a lot to deal with. But yes, that's the uh, publishing's <laughs> obsessed with TikTok at the moment. That's the kind yeah. of, yeah, that's the thing. And um, for your, you know, once the book was out there, obviously one of the kind of earlier things that happen is it's sent out to kind of other writers for their kind of thoughts on it. You know, you've got Ocean Vuong as you know this as one of the kind of pull quotes on the on the cover of the book mm -hmm. how does it feel when kind of you know writers that you've kind of either enjoyed yourself or kind of you know have this quite big sort of platform and a kind of well-respected you know are saying these amazing things about about your book it must be so exciting oh yeah it was so exciting and i really wasn't expecting that that love i think ocean Wong blurred it he was my first blurber actually which was pretty surreal and i i think he um i wasn't I had no expectations because he doesn't blurb a lot. So I thought, mm, no. okay, we'll send him a copy. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. He probably gets like 500 copies a day of different books. But um, And then I think he blurbed it in, in a week or something. So that was very, um, and I'm so grateful because I, I think it probably kind of changed the trajectory of the book just to have his name on the cover. And then, yeah, so he was the first one. And then, um, yeah, they just sort of started flowing in and, and you know, we got, Yarrow, Jogger's Fowler, and Cheap to Heal, and, and um, you know, all those amazing um, writers, Cash Awe as well. And it's just, uh, yeah, I think it just made me feel more confident in the book. Mm. I, <laughs> I mean, it was, it was, the edits were done, but in my head I was thinking like, no one's going to read this. <laughs> no, one's <laughs> going to, no one's going to like my book. But so I think that was just a bit of a confidence boost. And, and I was very just very touched really that people took the time to, to read early copies and to support it so that was kind of one of the highlights I think of, of the whole publishing process 
Absolutely. And I think, you know, the book world, we can be guilty sometimes of, you know, we love a kind of a category in order to make kind of setting a book sort of easier because you can sort of categorize it. And of course, debut author is kind of, you know, the big or oh, a big, you know, debut here, debut there, you know, that mm -hmm. it's a big word that's used a lot. But, you know, uh, as a debut author, I can imagine maybe that gets frustrating because it sort of, you know, it kind of marks you as, oh, you're sort of new, you know, that's the kind of the thing. But I don't know, having those quotes from your peers must be a kind of nice, you know, reminder of, no, just like them, you are a writer and it doesn't matter if it's your first book or your fifth, you know, it's just you're all doing the same thing. It must sort of, I don't know, feel very welcoming, I feel. Yeah, exactly. And it's, um, yeah, it's that thing of, being taken seriously in some mm. ways and and um people yeah taking your work seriously and not just as a sort of debut but um so that's yeah it was very very heartwarming very happy <laughs> and in terms of um you know reading you know we've talked about things that you read when you were a child sort of things that you've read more recently are there any sort of books for you that stand out that you've read that you feel had quite a sort of profound effect on you, whether, you know, it just it really connected with you and you thought, wow, this book really speaks to something which I haven't come across before or whether a book that, you know, inspired you to do something, you know, are there any sort of big titles that if someone was kind of to ask what are your kind of all time favourite books? Are there any titles that come to mind? Sure, yeah. I think Human Acts by Hong Kong is one that had a really big effect on me. It's about um, an uprising in Korea that takes place, I believe, in the, the 80s. And then, and like my book, it sort of starts with the, the death of one of the characters. And then it's different voices trying to, to reckon and with the, the aftermath of, the, of that uprising and with the, the death of the character. And the, there's also the soul of um, the deceased um character which has a, a chapter in the book so I think that was um that book had a big effect on me both in in the story it's a very um very sad and profound story and also in the way she told the story with the, the fragmented structure and playing with form and, and I think at the end the, the writer even has um, an appearance and she talks um Hancock speaks in her voice so I think that was very um a book that I think made me feel more free in, in the way to tell a story. And I think, cause I grew up reading very then like classical French, like, like novels that had a quite a, you know, uh, that, that were amazing. I mean, you know, I love Zola and, and Flaubert and, and um, Victor Hugo and so on. But um, I think in my head, I, I grew up thinking that if I ever were to write, I would have to write a book like, like that was just a very sort of classic structure. And then I, I read, um, yeah, Hong Kong and the right parts by Maggie Nelson, which is in the epigraph as well. And, and just, yeah, books that didn't really fit in one category, I think had a, a really big impact on me in the last few years. Yes, the um, I'm, I noticed the red parts because I'm a big Maggie Nelson fan. I loved um, the Argonauts and Bluettes, oh. are kind of, yeah, favourites yes. of mine. Um, <laughs> yes, and that's, uh, that's a really interesting point because I think many people grow up, you know, and particularly when you're a young reader, you sort of feel like you have to read the classics. I remember I tried to read... Um, Bleak House by um, Dickens, and um, I'm sorry to Dickens fans out there, but it's um, I'll never I'll never go back to it. Um, you know, uh, but you can get this idea of what a book, a novel, looks like, and I particular imagine you know in the sort of francophone tradition, you know, these kind of big, quite serious texts, you know, which are you know beautiful, but you know they have like a structure and they do this and they do that. So yes, that must be such an exciting moment of kind of coming across a book where 
there are no rules you know the rules don't exist you can do exactly exactly what you want um yes exactly it was very very freeing for me i think and of course um you know uh, both of those particularly with Maggie Nelson, there's kind of like a almost the feeling of kind of poetry, to, uh, you know, to it in the sense of a lot is said in the gaps as much as said is in the words, which I feel mm. is, you know, reflected in Wandering Souls as well, because you've got the story and then you've got these kind of, again, without sort of giving too much away, but you've got these kind of fragments or these, you know, a, a, little scenes or kind of newspaper clippings. And it's, you know, they tell a story, but it's also kind of the gaps that tell a story as well if that makes sense you might be sitting sat there sure, thinking yeah. he no, doesn't no. know what he's on about but um <laughs> no, but no, that's yeah true. that's a thought that comes to mind yeah. yes i think I, I i wanted to leave some things left unsaid in the book and i wanted to kind of interact with the reader in that way and and it's also the book i see the book as a bit of an invitation for readers to make their own research about Vietnamese book people and and um I, it's funny i remember when i first submitted the books my agent didn't know if uh, operation wandering soul was real or not which is um which is for readers who haven't read the book it's a sort of psychology war operation that took place during the vietnam war which i I write a bit about in the book so um yeah and i think the blend of fiction non-fiction the book also invites that question of of well was this real or is this fictional Mm -hmm. and i i i I like the idea that some readers will then go on the internet and, and google things and and yeah make their own independent research after reading the book that was absolutely me last week googling operation <laughs> wandering souls because you know with that and that chapter is you know that uh chapter is brilliant because it's done you know it's both nerve-wracking it's uh it's you know it's funny there's a kind of you know a kind of almost a sort of comical element to it as well and as you said it's that line where you think wait was this real and then you look it up and again not, without giving away exactly what it is for the reader you know for those like myself who came across into it you know who are coming into it who, who are not aware of this um but yeah it's incredibly eye-opening and as you say it does encourage that it encourages your own research because there i was sort of you know looking it up absolutely you know sort of flabbergasted and and shocked (laughs) at what people will do in the scenario of war and kind of you know really seeing how war is a kind of attack on all senses you know Mm -hmm. and uh, on a a culture as well was incredibly eye-opening so that's absolutely done that if that's like (laughs) your aim that's you know for an ignorant person like myself it was very eye-opening and you know that's uh, again a, a kind of a great uh, one of the many great elements of the book. And are you seeing that in terms of different responses to the book, depending on, uh, you know, those obviously coming from it who may have their own um, family histories that relate to the story in the book? You know, uh, are their reactions quite different from people who don't have any sort of personal experience and kind of com- coming into it blind? Are you seeing kind of different reactions there? Yes, it's been quite interesting to see people's um, different opinions. I think so. I mean, when I was saying the best agents, I had some agents saying, we don't want the voice of the ghost that in the book. We don't like it. And then some other people saying, we want more of it. <laughs> so it's all this, I mean, it's reading is so subjective, isn't it? And I think some people, maybe readers of nonfiction will be more intra- attracted to the more nonfiction bits of the books. And and um, some people want more of the the novel's narrative parts. And so it's it's been... It's a bit of a Rorschach test in a way. I think, you know, you kind of um, get from the book <laughs> yes, what you yeah. like the most. And then I've, I've had some really heartwarming moments where I've, I've had people come up to me and say, you know, this story, the story of my family. And then uh, people telling me, you know, 
my mom came to to London in the seventies, seventies, like in the book, and and it's always very emotional. And I always have to stop myself from having a little cry <laughs> with, with them because um, I mean, you know, it's it's like one of the reasons why I wrote the book is so that those people, the Vietnamese people who came to the UK, could feel seen. Mm. So it's been a very positive reaction, and I was very scared about what the those people who are feel very close to the story would how they would react to the book and i mean i'm sure some people some people don't like it but so far i've had just some really really nice welcoming responses to the book and my mom read it as well and she was very um gracious and i think she really liked it i think i think people like that it's even though the, especially the first half is quite sad it ends on quite a hopeful positive note which i think people have liked so far mm. And, you know, hopes are incredibly, um, you know, it, it, while it's good to kind of, you know, focus on kind of the injustices that have been done in the past. And, you know, because I think it can, in fiction and reading, lead to kind of like an expanded worldview and kind of being more accepting. But, you know, if you focus on those too much, you know, you, uh, I'm sure we've all read books where at the end you sort of feel like, oh, what's the point? <laughs> what's the point in anything? It's, uh, you know, but so that that hope has a real, you know, it's really powerful. It has it has a, you know, sort of drives you forward. Thank you. Yes, I agree. And um, I'm glad that they kept Dow in. Yes, because um, <laughs> it's something you know, I spoke to uh, for that last season. I spoke to Maggie Shipstead, who did um, Great Circle. And, um, you know, she was saying her book has kind of two sort of storylines in it that mm -hmm. run parallel. And she had people who said, you know, for some, for one storyline they loved and the other they were like not sort of fussed by and mm -hmm. again i think it's a sign of a, a book that's doing something really interesting that kind of people can really connect to one part and then find other parts you know they enjoy them but they don't i think it shows that a story is doing some you know it's doing multiple things at once which is really mm -hmm. really tricky you know how yeah, how you go about that i'm not sure i think so and i think especially as a debut writer you want to just sort of listen to everyone's advice and, and yeah. <laughs> take in all the edits and i think especially because i'd worked in publishing i knew how important it was to listen to you know edits and mm. take them in but also you also have to trust your instincts a little bit and and trust that um some things you want to keep in and some things you don't want to change and um so i think it can be a bit hard to find that balance and but i i think we did we did good in the end <laughs> i think um, <laughs> you did you did, you did uh, <laughs> and i chose i chose uh, my agent matt because he i think we had quite a close our vision for the book aligned quite a lot and i think you know for for writers looking for agents i think it's always worth making sure that your vision aligns with with the one of um of your agent as well absolutely and so uh, sort of finally now you know if uh you've talked about books that have inspired you books that you like as a kid and we've talked about wandering souls now going to give you a tricky task now which i know is quite cruel to give a writer to do but if you were working in mostly books here and you were recommending books to someone and someone said oh could you tell me about your book and you're pulling wandering souls off the shelf you, what would you say to that person how would you introduce someone uh to this uh to your book of course yes yeah, so i would say um wandering souls is about a family of vietnamese boat people who come to the uk during the thatcher era and, and find themselves in a really new land trying and having to make new lives for themselves at a very young age and also dealing with a lot of grief and loss and um it's also a story about hope and about overcoming trauma and um 
It's been a long promotion circle. It is, yeah, it must be difficult. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, yeah, and um, I would say it's also, um, it also includes some some, um, real-life documentation and um, different voices, and I think that you should read it. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, I think, um, unfortunately, I, th- I think that's brought us to the end. It's been lovely talking to you, but it would be great if you wouldn't mind if we left it um, on a reading from Wandering Souls, if um, you'd like to read a segment for us. Of course, yes. So I'm actually going to read the chapter that, which opens part two about Operation Wandering Souls, so just to give oh, readers okay, a, little, a little taste of the operation. So this is chapter nine, 1967. Operation Wandering Soul Part 1, Vietnam. Within a jungle whose name they don't know, Private Jackson and Private First Class Miller are slowly advancing, pushing aside branches with the tips of their rifles. Their faces are covered in acne, brought about by the heat on their still adolescent skins. Miller is holding the trigger, ready to pull at the slightest unusual sound, a whisper of breath or the tread of a book that is not theirs. They're hunched, on edge, eyes darting, stomachs rumbling and back sweating. Are you okay? Jackson mouths. Miller nods, although he's aware his heavy breathing and dripping forehead is giving him away. He's carrying a portable PA speaker with both arms, weighing what he imagines a baby elephant muscle. They both think this is a jotic. Luton Smith had come to see them that morning at breakfast. Chopped ham, eggs and powdered mills. Boy, do I have a mission for you, he told them, smirking, which was never a good sign with Luton Smith. He presented the speaker to them, pointing to the nearby jungle. You need to go in there, drop it, not too far from camp, and press play. He took a cassette tape from his pocket with a label on its spine that read Ghost Tape Number 10. Smith inserted the tape into the player and looked at the two privates, laughing at their bafflement. Operation Wandering Soul, he said, to scare the living shit out of those ghosts. The thought, they could tell, delighted him. Miller and Jackson knew not to ask any questions, and they obeyed the order. Thank you so much. That was a beautiful reading. Thank you so much for joining us on Mostly Books Meets. Thank you for having me. It's so much fun. And just to let everyone know, Wandering Souls is out now. It's available at Mostly Books, both in store and online or from your local independent bookshop. Cecile Pin, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Mostly Books Meets is presented and produced by the bookselling team at Mostly Books, an award-winning bookshop located in Abingdon, Oxfordshire. All of the titles mentioned in this episode are available through our shop or your preferred local independent. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out our previous guests, which include some of the most exciting voices in the world of books. Thanks for listening and happy reading. Mostly books.